You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome, everybody. Hope you're having a happy, good Sunday. This is Al Melchior, your host for FanRag Fantasy Baseball. So I'll be here for the next hour with you, going over the latest news, some of the latest performances, talk about some draft strategy. And to join me for all that and much, much more is FanRag's very own Greg Jewett. So, Greg, thank you for joining me again this Sunday. Uh, thanks for having me, Al. Yeah, no, always a pleasure. Uh, always fun uh, also to, to talk pitching with you. We're going to do a lot, of, a lot of that a little bit later on in the show. And uh, for the third show in a row, we've got some David Price news. Uh, some, some pretty good news, certainly better than uh, just a few days ago. But before that, a few more late-breaking uh, items to get to. Uh, hang on just one second. Pardon me. Uh, Corey Seager, he'll be sitting out again today. And he's uh, been out with uh, with some back issues, uh, but uh, he is still considered to be day to day. Kevin Kiermeyer has been cleared to return to uh, Grapefruit League action, and we should be seeing him uh, either Tuesday or Wednesday. So that's good news. Michael Fulmer, not uh, as good news. He'll be missing his next Grapefruit League start. He hurt his ankle, his right ankle, running agility drills. So it's a grade one sprain, not considered to be major. But uh, as we see with this next item that we still have to watch these day-to-day situations, Anthony Desclafani, who had been day-to-day, now uh, with his elbow issues, he is considered uh, to be unlikely for opening day. This would be the second time in a row that Desclafani would have been slated to be the Reds' opening day starter and would wind up missing it due to injury. And, of course, Desclafani last year missed roughly two months at the start of the season. This doesn't appear to be nearly as, as serious, but obviously a situation to watch. Lance McCullers uh, is scheduled to make his spring training debut this Thursday. So he's been coming along slowly uh, this spring, but he is going to make his uh, debut sooner than later. So uh, that's the, the later breaking news. Let's go back to David Price. Uh, this really from yesterday. He is, it turns out, not going to need surgery. Uh, so that's great news. It's been called the best case scenario for price but there's still no timetable for his return all we know is that he's not going to be throwing for at least a week so greg where are you at with david price it's been kind of a roller coaster uh few days for him in terms of his fantasy value and in terms of the news uh where where do you stand with david price right now um it's going to be interesting to watch uh what what helps right now is with the WBC is uh, spring training is going to go longer this year. So people need to factor that in when they're tracking all of these injury situations. So teams can err on the side of caution. Um, listening to Bernie Plutkoff talk last night, uh, one of our colleagues, he was on the uh, late during the labor draft and he, he was interested in the price in the cost that price went for in the, in the auction at $14. But Bernie was, uh, on the low side of thinking that he would make 20, 25 starts. Um, he said, you know, at that price, it's, it's worth the risk on the pitcher, no pun intended, but um, <laughs> he doesn't see him making 25. So that, that, that's going to factor in. Um, I also tweeted uh, the gentleman from the NFBC and uh, Greg Ambrosius was nice enough to answer back before the show here. And he said in the, in the last two drafts that, 
uh, David Price, his ADP, well, his, his pick spot was 104 and 114, respectively. So that's pretty much a 60-point drop in his ADP with the, with the recent news. Okay, yeah, well, I'm glad you were able to get that data because um, what I just have here is the overall ADP for Price. In NFBC, he's currently 12th among starting pitchers and CBS League's 11th and Yahoo 9th. But then what that's suggesting is that you know, his stock has dropped precipitously from that, as, as you mm-hmm. would expect it would. So yeah, the, what I mean, you this, th- but this puts him, oh, I'm sorry, I say this puts him in a range of like Garrett Cole, Rich Hill, Danny Salazar, all people who um, have a little bit of risk baked in anyways. So it, it's probably the right price point for him to go right now. So we'll be curious to see how much it corrects uh, in the days going forward. Okay, well, if we're looking at a draft as opposed to an auction, and you've got both Price and uh, and Garrett Cole in your queue, which way are you going there? Uh, I'd rather go with Cole just on the positive, the positive news in camp and Yarrow going upward. Plus, he's younger. How about how about Salazar? See that one, I might rather risk on Price. I just I have watched Salazar start the other day, and I think he walked three guys in the the yeah. first first inning and a half there. So I, I, don't, I still think there's some danger with his whip and control. The, ups, the strikeout upside's there, but I'd rather have, say, 21 starts of David Price than 21 starts of Danny Salazar. Yeah, I, th- I think I would too. I, you know, the thing is I came into this season with some uh, some concerns about Price just because of, of him being not quite his usual effective self. I mean, effective, but not on the usual level last season. So uh, I, I'm definitely with you in terms of going for Garrett Cole over him. I think I, I think I agree with you on Salazar too, but I think that's right there. That's kind of where the scales are pretty, pretty uh, mm-hmm. even. I think, and you know that that's saying a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, well, I know that you've been sort of eager to make the case for uh, Cambridgeian uh, with Houston Street. Uh, the yet another uh injury situation so uh I, you know if it didn't come up now i think however you were valuing bedrosian and for that matter you know, let's include andrew uh bailey into that picture as well uh you, you knew at some point there was a, a likelihood of a houston street injury so now we have a reality of it not not necessarily a, a serious injury but i guess the two questions are how does this change your your feeling about Cambodrosian, and what do you you like? Because I know I was like yeah, I would normally ask you know how how much do you like him? But I know you like him a lot. So what what's the case for Pedrosian? Well, I mean I like him, but it has it had more to do with my dislike or distrust of Houston Street. You know, I know he was pitching hurt last year too, but he had a one point nine strikeout minus walk percentage last season. Uh, I think the skills were starting to fray a little bit last year. I mean, and again, I know he was he was pitching injured, but his velocities were down, um, and things weren't pointing in the right direction for him. Um, in 2015, Street had a 3.73 FIP, and then last year it, it just ballooned up to 6.42. So my my like of Bedrosian was kind of coupled with I just didn't think Street could keep that job, even if he started the year with it. Um, and it's always hard with the Angels because trying to guess what Sosha is going to do uh, can be difficult because he does usually favor veterans. So Andrew yeah. Bailey is, is not out of this conversation by any by any stretch of the imagination. 
Um, I just like baby bedrock and that slider, and I think he could do well in the role. Um, the the biggest wild card in all this, especially for uh, AL only leagues, is keeping tabs on Kenyon Middleton because he's somebody in the in the uh, guise of uh, Edwin Diaz that could he's a mm. former starting pitcher that they moved to relief last year that was hitting 100 miles an hour at Double A, so he could be somebody that in the in the second half really makes his uh, makes his case in this bullpen. Yeah, well, and you mentioned the slider for Bedrosian. It was something that he really uh, improved a lot last year, threw it harder, and yet still has a, a pretty wide gap in terms of the average velocity between the slider and the fastball. So, um, you know, that's certainly a big plus for Bedrosian. There are a couple of things that are mild worries for me, and it's not that I think that if Bedrosian started the year as the closer that he wouldn't be good enough to just keep the role, but... Um, he doesn't get a whole lot of swings, which is actually part of what boosts his, his strikeout rate because he's, he's a good but not a great swing and miss guy. Uh, mm-hmm. And he doesn't allow a lot of soft contact. So those two things together, it really requires him to have very, very good control. And that's something that's been a little bit of incon- uh, a little bit inconsistent for Bedrosian. So it's not, again, I, I would sort of put him in an A.J. Ramos type category where I think he's a perfectly good closer, but there is some competition there. There is, as mm-hmm. you said, Sosha favoring, having the pattern of favoring veterans. That does worry me a little bit. So there's just enough vulnerability there that I I wouldn't put him in my top 15 closers, even if I knew he was starting the season as the Angels' closer. What's your level of confidence in regard to those those oh. concerns? Um, I, I understand your apprehension. Um, and again, uh, I like using Brooks baseball. His, uh, his slider did have a 43.4 width for swing rate, but again, he has to rely on it. So, so hitters are going to know. So if he's missing his marks mm-hmm. or it's not close enough to look like a strike, like you, uh, inferred with Ramos, that can definitely be something, you know, we have, we've talked about Ramos being a tightrope walk at times. So, um, there could be a, a rough save like that in the offing. I, I think, Basically, Bedrosian having the job pretty early, so I'm comfortable leaving him. I think I had him 22nd in our rankings. I'd, ha- I'd probably leave him right about there. I don't think this news forces me to move him any higher than that. But, uh, you know, as far as his ADP, as long as he gets the job, he's a value right now, but a lot of that can change in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Well, moving from uh, a closer situation to a former closer vying for a starting role. Trevor Rosenthal was scheduled to start on Monday. He will not now. Uh, so he's been scratched. He has uh, soreness, and that is the only report I've been able to find. So maybe he's been paid paid a visit by uh, uh, Twitter star General Soreness. Or no, it's, actually, it's General Cramping I'm thinking of. Uh, but, you know, maybe there's, there's a General Soreness out there somewhere. So... Uh, Situation to uh, to keep an eye on there because, uh, of course, you've got Michael Waka competing for that spot. You already have Luke Weaver, who's dealt with uh, some some back issues. So I don't know if at this point it looks like Waka's going to get uh, a step ahead of those other two, just because he's sort of ironically been the the relatively healthiest one. But uh, you know that that's shaping up to be an interesting situation there for the Cardinals. And also speaking of the Cardinals, Matt Carpenter has bowed out of the World Baseball Classic. He's been dealing with back spasms, and there's concern there because of the oblique injury from last season that that's something that could affect the oblique. 
So he is a week away at least before uh, getting into games. And uh, this is also, for me, unwelcome news because Carpenter has been a target of mine, both at second and third base. I love the power, which I think even after a season and a half of him showing good power, I think is underrated and uh, good on base percentage and a good lineup. So hopefully Carpenter gets healthy in the next week. And Carlos Rodon looks like he might miss his first start of the season. Not a health concern for Rodon, but rather the White Sox plan to bring him along slowly this spring so that he doesn't get fatigued late in the year. And they brought him along so slowly, and they've been so cautious with him. He may not actually be ready for the first uh, week of the season. So uh, not a major fantasy impact there, but uh, something that may affect your your week one rotation. So... um, Anyway, we got a lot you're, you're to, not, to, to. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I say you're not worried about those cryptic tweets where he kind of fell and did something to his to his shoulder, and the team's not really fully reporting all that. Well, you know that is a, <laughs> that is a good point. Um, so maybe these aren't to be taken completely at face value. You never know. Uh, so I, I take it you are concerned about that. Only slightly, just because of how. Uh, how vague they're being about all of this. It's like, oh, we're protecting him, but, you know, he did hurt himself at the end of last year. So, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, nothing to, nothing to see there. Uh, yeah, no, I get to, <laughs> it's one, you know, one to watch. And uh, you know, sort of like with Desclafani, although there there's an actual injury being reported, uh, sometimes these things do grow as a story uh, throughout spring training. So I think that's that's a caution that is well warranted. So uh, appreciate that uh that insight, Greg. But we uh, we have to head for break right now. But uh, there's a lot, been a lot going on with uh, spring performances lately. Ones that, again, in this limited spring training sort of way, could uh, draw our attention a little bit. So we will get to those right after the break. Happy Sunday, everybody. Hope you're enjoying your day so far. Welcome back to Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. This is Al Melker. I'm your host. And joined today by Fan Rag's Greg Jewett. And uh, Greg and I, and also our colleague Jim Finch, we've been rolling out position by position our uh, fantasy draft guide. And so uh, today is going to be the last day of new content for the uh, starting pitcher draft guide. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the show. We're uh, going to be focusing more on the starting pitcher landscape and strategy to go with that landscape in the uh, final installment. We'll dig into that a little bit. But before we do, uh, let's focus on the here and now of spring training games. And Greg, I've said in, in previous shows that I don't put too much stock in spring training numbers. I know that's not really a, a controversial uh, position in our industry, but uh, if I do pay attention, it's typically where there's uh, a position battle at stake, something like that, where if somebody gets off to a really hot start or, or a really cold start, maybe it affects their chances there. Um, so none of the, the players that we've got lined up here to talk about, I think are really in that situation. So really what they're doing early on, I, I think is more, to be honest, an excuse <laughs> to kind of uh, discuss how we view them anyway. But, you know, you never know. Um, with some of these players, I have to resist the temptation of being stupidly influenced by a handful of games. So 
I guess we'll see how, mm-hmm. how disciplined we are with uh, our reactions to these, uh, these performances. So let's start with Chris Archer, who uh, on Saturday against the Orioles threw three perfect innings, five strikeouts, great performance by Archer. And I have to admit, this is one of those cases where a little bit of confirmation bias uh, seeps in. And I like Archer a lot to have a breakout this year. And I look at this kind of performance and, and against my better judgment, I say, yeah, I knew it. <laughs> but what's, what's your uh, thinking on Chris Archer going into this year? And are, and are you more disciplined than I am? Um, I don't know. We'll have to find that out, but um, I've been on team <laughs> Archer. I've been on team Archer for a while. So um, you can ask Howard Bender when we're doing the mock drafts and whatnot. Um, it's usually me and Lar fighting over who can get Archer in the fourth round, depending on where we are in the queue. But, um, you know, in a 15-team draft, I've been able to get him in the fourth and sometimes fifth round. So I really think people are scared off by the 19 losses last year, and they're really ignoring how in the second half he went back to being Chris Archer. Um, yeah. He was hitting 96 on the on the radar, which are the key things. You know, we're, we're look, yeah, the strikeouts are great and the perfect innings are great, but – we're looking for the returns and velocity, which we'll cover with another pitcher coming down the pike on the on our notes here. So, you know, that's what we're looking for. We want to know that the pitches are sharp, the pitcher is healthy, and uh, things are going in the right direction. You know, uh, we don't know how much run support Archer's going to get, so wins could still be hard to come by. But um, he's he's too good of a pitcher to be drifting as far as he is in a lot of drafts. Yeah, I agree with that. I, you know, I hadn't really given that much thought to the concern over wins with him, and that probably is a factor. I took it more as a referendum on his consistency or uh, sometimes relative lack thereof. But, you know, what was encouraging about this, this latest outing, again, not to put too much stock in any one performance or even the aggregate of all spring performances – Aside from position battles with pitchers, if you see a pitcher who's had some control issues in the past and they don't have them in the spring, I, I do take that as an encouraging sign. And that's a sign I would look for with Archer because when it's not going mm-hmm. well for him, it often does have to do with a lack of control. So uh, mm-hmm. I'll take some encouragement there. Now, Michael Pineda, speaking of inconsistency, <laughs> uh, a two-inning out against the Tigers, just allowed one hit, also no walks. But again, control is not usually a big problem for Pineda. Uh, no runs uh, coming across against Pineda in those two innings and five strikeouts. Also, you know, an impressive total, but not a shocking one because we know Pineda can throw strikes. We know he can get swings and misses. It's just what happens when batters do connect where there are problems. And not because of this outing or any outing this spring, but in taking a, a closer look at the numbers with Pineda, I realized I was suffering from some Pineda fatigue uh, during much of the offseason and, and almost completely writing him off. And I, I think it's fair to still have hope for a breakout from him. And, and the thing that really brought that to the fore for me was comparing his numbers against Robbie Ray's because I think those two mm-hmm. get lumped together a lot although Ray doesn't have the control that Pineda does but Ray actually has had much worse problems with allowing hard contact and yet I feel like Ray gets a much greater benefit of the doubt because he hasn't let us down as often as Pineda has does that narrative ring true at all for you? Um, I feel like uh, these two guys are like the, uh, if we're going to paint narrative street here, it would be like we're out at the bar and you see these two really hot girls and everything about them points to being fantastic. 
and then you start to talk to them and they can't hold a conversation and then you're disappointed because some of us are actually looking for somebody that can converse with us and not just be pretty. Um, Pineda burned so many people last year, including me, that I think uh, it's, it's scaring people off. Um, he almost feels like uh, if you, you know, we've talked about daily and stuff, like if a, you, if a player has all the right matchups and you put him in and he goes over four, and then the next day he has all the right trends again and you're angry at him so you don't play him, and then he hits the three home runs and you're like, well, how is the day too soon? Maybe we were all a year too early on Pineda. Um, CeCe's the bat, your raves about him. I think everything is there. It's just a matter of having it all go together. So, you know, ballparks affects the side. Him and Ray are almost uh, equal as far as the ballparks and the effects on him. I think Ray just gets a pass being in a national league, but I'm actually leaning towards at their price points. I'd almost rather take a shot on Pineda right now than Ray, especially as you touched upon with the control. Yeah. Control. And again, the, the worst numbers in terms of hard contact for Ray, and I'm uh, just uh, trying to take a quick look here because I think I may have ranked Ray ahead of Pineda. And if I did, I, I definitely want to uh, want to reverse that because I'm uh, OK. I have Ray 50th and uh, yeah, I haven't located Pineda yet, but he's lower than that. So I'm going to have some re-ranking work to do here because uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm taking taking Pineda over Ray as well. Uh, Lance Lynn, a very encouraging performance four innings. Just one run allowed, and it was an unearned run. No walks, and again, something that's really good to see from somebody coming off of Tommy John surgery. Only one strikeout. But uh, an overall very nice performance against the Nationals. Uh, how much uh, avoidance do you have uh, with, with Lance Lynn coming off of the Tommy John? I don't know that it's avoidance. The, uh, the Cardinals are going to present interesting pitchers at reduced prices. I'm really curious to see what him and Waka and Weaver all go for tonight in the uh, National League only labor. Um, it's going to be curious to see how uh, how people value those three against each other and, and what the prices go to. I know there's a lot of people getting on the Weaver train, but I feel like we're forgetting Waka. He's almost like the forgotten guy here. You know, last year in FBC drafts, Waka was the 28th starting pitcher off the board at pick 102, and this year I'm even being taken – when I do like the mocks with Bender in 25 rounds, he's not even being taken in the first 25 rounds. Yeah. Well, and you know, I guess I'm maybe I, I I'm not as befuddled by the lack of interest over Waka. And, you know, of course some of that is just the, the you know, the uncertainty of his role and a, a, a pretty, I don't know, it, to me, a concerning injury history, you know, because he mm-hmm. just, uh, He's, he's had a lot of, uh, you know, just a lot of injuries, but also there was a one he had, I want to say it was maybe three years ago where it just, it was never even clear exactly what was wrong because you saw conflicting reports about it. And I actually, it was three years ago because two years ago I talked to Waka at the All-Star game in Cincinnati and I asked him about it. He wasn't even clear about what the diagnosis was. So that, that's something that I just kind of hold in the back of my mind and it concerns me about Waka. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, certainly there is still upside to be had there. Uh, now, Sonny Gray, also uh, coming off of an injury plague season, and like Waka, a disappointing season. Uh, he's got, got some very uh, encouraging velocity numbers uh, so far. I think it's just one outing. But last year, he, he averaged 93.7 miles an hour on his four-seamer, 
93.6 on the sinker, and so far 94.5 on the four-seamer and 94.8 on the sinker. So more than a mile per hour gain on the sinker and close to a mile an hour on the four-seamer. That's really good. To, really good to see. He will pitch again on Tuesday against the Diamondbacks. So I think it's a trend that we certainly have to keep an eye on. But when you see the first outing of spring training, have that number. I mean, you would you don't expect to go down. In fact, you expect it to go up. So how much mm-hmm. uh, how much does this change your perception of uh, Sunday Gray going into drafts? Uh, I think it's encouraging. Now, in years past, I've always felt Sunny Gray was a little overvalued, just based upon you know, his peripherals and whatnot. But now with the, with, with the reduction in price, it almost makes him, you know, the, again, the hot girl at the dance this year, Sean Manaya. everyone's falling over themselves to make sure that they get Manaya that they're taking him over gray. And I think, and even cotton, I mean, I love cotton, but you know, uh, gray's kind of getting lost in the shuffle here. So he could be a very sneaky play uh, for the, uh, the thrifty drafter coming up. You know who else loves cotton? George Costanza. Those those uniforms. Yes, I remember that you know, episode. Let those uniforms breathe. <laughs> Hopefully, things will go better for Jarrell Cotton than they they will for than they did for the Cotton jerseys. I think they will. Well, Jarrell is a better changeup, so he should be able to hang a lot better. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, turn quickly uh, to a couple of Brewers: Keon Broxton, Domingo Santana. Santana had a two homer game. Uh, on Friday against the Angels and Broxton on Saturday against the Rangers went two for three with a home run. He's now hitting for 12 uh, and Broxton may be in the leadoff spot at the very least. Uh, Craig Council is targeting for somewhere in the upper part of the order. So how much are you targeting these two? Um, I, I like both of them. Um, in one of the recent mocks I did, uh, Ronas took both of them um, in the later rounds. And it made sense because he needed some speed and he needed some power upside, and both guys fit those bills. Um, I watched uh, Santana swing the other night on Friday. I, I made a point to watch the game. You know, he was opening his hips. Everything was clear. It was a nice, easy swing, easy power to left field. Um, and he, had, he and he's a high OBP guy, so in any league that rewards OBP, um, that boosts up Santana's value. And then I presently have the Broxton game on right now just because I, I knew we were talking about him again. Um, the broadcast, they were talking about how he's uh, tried to simplify this swing, um, more throwing his hands at the ball. They're looking for contact up the middle and not swinging from the heels. Um, but he did hit. I watched his home run. It was a nice, easy swing. It seems more relaxed. So he could be a late bloomer. But, you know, that 15, that 15% walk rate last year and the 23 stolen bases, you know, those are hard to ignore at a time where stolen bases are considered scarce. Yeah, I love uh, Santana as a late rounder, uh, and again, I really like the power. And I think it's just it's just a matter of health for him. So mm-hmm. we need to head to break. We've been very upbeat and positive so far for the most part, but not all spring standouts are standing out in a good way. So when we come back, we'll talk about a couple of players have been off to slow starts and what that may or may not mean. So stick around. Welcome back to Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and I'm joined today, as I typically am on Sundays, by my colleague, Greg Jewett, a colleague at Fan Rag. And i uh, been talking about our fantasy guide. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, today we're going to close out our new content for the starting pitcher fantasy guide. So be sure to check that out. And we're actually going to 
dig into that in just a little bit in just a few moments. But I do want to follow up on a couple of spring standouts. Uh, we talked about a number of them before the break. A couple we didn't talk about were players that are not standing out necessarily in a good way. David Peralta and Trevor Story. Peralta so far batting 167. Story just 077. And uh, obviously got to issue the usual caveats here about spring training stats, small sample, and all that. But where are you at with uh, Peralta and Story uh, coming back from uh, from injury? Uh, well, both guys lost appreciable time last year, so it's going to take them probably a little longer to get going. Uh, Story was my boomer bust guy at shortstop just because the ceiling's so high, but if all of the all of the things that people warned about when they were saying not to uh, get them after the first week of production, um, if they ever prove right, then you're never going to hear the end of it from those folks. So it's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's very hard. You know, when, when you're doing a draft or making a team, you have to, I, I think you have to balance your risk. So if you're going to take somebody like Trevor Story in a 15 team or in like the third or uh, on the turn at, if he falls to the fourth round, um, you have to have guys that are going to be solid uh, lineup protection. Like if you had your boy, Jose Altuve, who was the, the high priced guy in labor last night, by the way, mm-hmm. or uh, somebody like that to help, to help layer your lineup and protect them. That's fine. But, you know, he's going to be a very uh, polarizing player. I think this year for fantasy, just to see what happens with him. You know, Pross is kind of under the radar, but he plays in a great ballpark. Um, but the wrist issues, you know, that's we know wrist and, and thumb injuries like that can sap power. So we want to see him get going. I, I haven't taken him in any of my mocks as of yet, and I'm starting a uh, an NFBC draft of champions today. So uh depends on how far he would fall or if I needed upside in the outfield. I mean, he's one year removed from 17 home runs and nine stolen bases with an 873 OPS, but there, I think there's a measure of risk. It's just a matter of seeing if he can get that timing back and – if that power swing does return. Now, if you have Peralta, for example, I have him in a, uh, in a dynasty league. So he was a, a, a keeper for me, uh, but whether you've kept mm-hmm. him over from last year or you you've drafted and you've got Peralta, would you look to deal him uh, either before the season or, or early on? Uh, I think it's like you said, I think it's still too early to overreact. I really want to watch a couple, uh, like I said, the beauty of having uh, the MLB TV packages, you can, pop these games like I'm watching the Rangers and the Brewers play from yesterday. It's fantastic because you can the field for where they're at as opposed to just getting screaming people and getting out back on track and it's just being unlucky. So I'm not in a rush to deal him, although in my deep keeper league he was a part of uh when I was dealing like the seven people for three, he was a part of the guys that went because I only had him for $2. But uh, to get the person I did, it was worthwhile. I'm remembering that that now because yeah, you sent me the details of those trades and what you did was just absolutely brilliant, I thought. Because <laughs> you, you took some very good players uh, with promise and you consolidated them into uh, a, a core of stud players who I think to a person were all you know much better than even the best players you traded away. So that could be a whole nother segment, maybe on a later show. Uh, and, and just also, to, you know, you had said, as far as trading Peralta early, you know, not to overreact. And just to be clear, my agenda in asking that had more to do with the wrist injury than 
the, uh-huh. the poor, well, that poor early sense. performance. Yeah. Now with story, you know what you said, I, you know, I think that's interesting because I think if this persists, I think he'll become a much more polarizing player fairly or unfairly because he's the sort of player coming off of that, you know, that very serious injury where he missed a lot of time where I think spring training more so than the average player is going to be viewed as a referendum. So I think maybe there's an mm-hmm. opportunity there actually get story at a bargain price. But as you said, I've, I've been seeing him go typically in the third round. So not the yep. case just yet, but uh, well, it's hard to, it's hard to get a, it's hard to get a bargain in course. Yeah, it is. So, uh, you know, I think you have to bring in, uh, you know, an injury impact or something to make that happen. So, or, or, or that in combination with a poor spring and maybe you, you get that, that perfect storm with Trevor story. It, we'll see a, a week or so down the line from him. Uh, now I've been uh, promising that we would get to some stra- uh, starting pitcher strategy talk. And in today's final installment of our uh, starting pitcher draft guide on FanRag, uh, we're each going to lay out how we view the starting pitching landscape and what the nature of that landscape actually does for us in terms of shaping, shaping an approach to drafting pitchers. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, want to give away the whole thing, and, and Greg, I'm sure you don't either, because we'd like people to go and actually check <laughs> check the pieces out. Uh, I lay out four different categories of pitchers I'm targeting after I get my first two, and I'm going to be drawing my first two from a pool of 17 because after my number 17 ranked se- starter, who's Kyle Hendricks, I see just a gaping abyss there, and I'm going to come back to that abyss because the the pitcher on the other side of the abyss. I'm not so sure about. I'm not sure if I'm I'm unfairly underrating him, but um, but the general idea is that I, I'll take two from this this very small pool of pitchers that I view as reliable, and then everybody else. I'm really just going to be going for upside or looking for players who are just severely underrated. Um, what's the basic contour of how you see the the starting pitcher landscape? Well, it's no shock here, but we're kind of in congruence. But um, <laughs> what I'm trying to do when I'm when I'm building this is I'm either looking for uh, bounce back guys that I can trust or I think I can trust. Um, I've I've really enjoyed. Um, I've had a couple of uh, recent mocks, and I would really love to have this happen in the NFBC draft. I'm starting today um, is getting Archer and Degrom as like two founding. I know people are a little scared of Degrom, but he was hitting 96 in his start. Um, I didn't get to see it because it wasn't on TV, but I think uh, he's somebody just and I intimated that in the article. I think him and Garrett Cole, as the spring goes on and they're showing um, that they can, that they're healthy and they're, uh, they're ready to go, that their prices are going to change dramatically in the next, in the next three weeks. I think their ADPs are definitely going to shift. Um, so if I could get two people like that, I don't mind. And then I'm going to start, like you were saying, you know, there is a bit of a, of a chasm and it kind of, it kind of floats and I'm going to let value fall to me and then, and then hit my marks. You know, I did put in there that you should have a clear set of tiers and you have people within there. So if you see a tier starting to dry up, sometimes you have to reach up and get somebody to make sure that you don't let it fall too far. Um, and then you're hitting your marks. I mean, you should have two or three people per tier that you're, that you're targeting and as they're going down through the draft, uh, make sure that you have that. So you have a balanced team. You just don't want to – you can't take too much risk because I'm taking risk if I take Archer and DeGrom. So then I can't be taking uh, all kinds of Manaya and other types later in the draft. I do need to have some uh, some solid pieces to fill in around them. 
You know, what you're describing, that's very typical of, of the approach I take pretty much year in, year out for just about every position. And in fact, the piece, the uh, landscape wrap-up piece that I did on outfield was very similar to what you were just saying, that you know, the, you, there are, there's a lot of uncertainty at the position, but you got to make sure you fill in and for every really risky player you take, you know, look for, for one who's been really solid and consistent. And those are few and far between. That's out the mm-hmm. window for me with pitcher, <laughs> actually relief or starting pitcher. <laughs> That's totally out the window for me. And here's why, because I think there's so much um, volatility and uncertainty at pitcher and that there's, you know, and it goes both ways. Guys who you may be targeting as number three starters who have a very low floor, but also pitchers who may be late rounders or even further off the radar who have the potential to be number three starters. And this was my view of it last year. And so I went into drafts with the idea I was going to take my top two starters. I had to leave the draft room with two of my top 20 starters. And then after that, it was all upside. Because if it didn't pan Mm -hmm. out, I knew I'd be able to get players off of waivers in season to replace them. And, And it actually, it worked out great. It turned out to be a really successful strategy in the leagues where I, where I employed it. Um, so, you know, like I said, uh, not to give it all away, but in, in, the, uh, in the piece, I outlined four different categories of pitchers who uh, represent either upside or, or likely very good value. So for, for whatever that's worth. But uh, I do want to talk about the player, the pitcher who's, on the other side of the abyss after my top 17, it's Masahiro Tanaka. And I don't think I have him ranked differently than, than most people. I've got him 18th, but it's, you know, it's 18th with, you know, it's, instead of a bullet or, or an asterisk, it's, you know, with like a down arrow or something. Uh, I'm really, I, I, I would like him much less than the, the 18th ranking would imply. And a big part of that still is him pitching with the, the partially torn UCL, even though didn't create a problem for him last year and the reports out of spring this year are that he's feeling great. But I don't completely trust that. But there's another thing, too, in, in the uh, Tanaka profile that worries me, and that is he's been a low Babbitt pitcher. So he's been able to really be great with whip and great with ERA despite not being a, a, a great strikeout pitcher. He's not a bad one, but not a great one. So he has good control. He's been a good BABIP pitcher. And at the heart of the low BABIP is a 202 batting average allowed on ground balls over his three years with the Yankees. I cannot find the piece of evidence to back that up. Because <laughs> the, the Yankees infield defense is, is fine. But it's not you know like the Cubs or the Blue Jays or some team that I feel like is really going to support low pitcher BABIPs across the board. So where... You know, how much do you like Tanaka? How much do you trust his track record? Um, I, you know, one reference earlier as far as the girls at the bar, I think Tanaka is like a little kid doing the little wind-up thing with Pop Goes the Weasel because you're just waiting for that elbow to go. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as a Yankee fan, you know, I've appreciated everything he's done the last couple of years, but um, it'll be, this is going to be a tough year. Uh, as far as trying to figure out, will his elbow last the whole season? Um, how hard will the Yankees push him if they if they fall off in the standings? There's a lot of moving pieces to Tanaka. So where he's being taken in drafts, I'm probably going to go towards somebody else. I just 
you know, I, I can't justify taking him out of play unless I've really ignored starting pitching because hitters that I love kept falling to me, and then I need to try and take somebody um, as if he was like my number two, but it would be a very uncomfortable number two. Yeah, well, I agree. And again, you know, I've got him ranked as a number two starter. I doubt I'll have him as a number two starter in any league. I doubt I'll have him in any league, period, because I probably just won't be willing to pay the price. But uh, Tanaka, mm-hmm. along with his uh, AL brethren, they were uh, getting bid on last night in the AL labor draft. We're going to take a look at that, take a look at some of the prices and see what it means all when we come back from break. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. This is Al Melfier, I'm your host. And with me today is Greg Jewett, also from FanRag. And Greg was uh, following along last night with the Labor Ale auction. Uh, I will admit I did not follow it in real time, but uh, I studied the, uh, the grid this morning. And uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff here, as there typically is with, uh, with a lot of the expert drafts and auctions. And uh, just before the break, we were talking about Masahiro Tanaka. He went for $17, which was the same as uh, Danny Duffy and uh, Aaron Sanchez, I believe. Also, yes, Aaron Sanchez went for 17 So, I mean, that's pretty much in line with where I have him ranked and I think where a lot of people have him ranked. Uh, again, it <laughs> probably wouldn't pay it, but uh, you know that's just a, a sign of how much uncertainty and risk there is in the pitching pool beyond the the really top top options. And of course, this being AL, you're just thinning out the pool even more so. So, were there any mm-hmm. uh, particular prices that uh, caught your interest? Um, there was a few. I, I was uh, I was trying to look at it, and Porcello went for 17 as well. When you're all in that, 17 was a popular number last night. They even joked about it on the broadcast. Um, there was a pile of people. Gosman at 17. Stroman went for a dollar more at 18. Quintana at 19. I mean, there there was kind of a lair. And I, there were only two pitchers that uh, starters that hit the uh, $30 threshold, and that was Darvish, and who was the other one? I think they, Darvis and Salem, they were both on the same team. Hmm. Dude, am I the only one that has a little apprehension about Chris Sale in Boston? No. This is somebody that took scissors to a jersey uh, <laughs> to get out, of, get out of wearing them at a home start. I mean, you do something like that in Boston, they, they're not going to chalk it up as quirky. That's going to be all over. I mean, it's, it's another level in Boston with the, with the coverage. You know, uh, you went a whole different direction with that, and I and I actually like that direction and didn't uh, go there myself, but I feel like I should have. So thank you for uh, pointing that out. But no, I was thinking just more in terms of uh, the change in venue and the change really more so in, in divisions that uh, mm-hmm. sale, predictably so for a fly ball pitcher, sometimes struggled to uh, keep the ball in the park at U.S. Cellular. And uh, at Fenway, it's going to be probably more an issue of giving up doubles than home runs. But then, you know, you've got Yankee Stadium, Camden Yards, and uh, Rogers Center uh, very heavy on the schedule. So, and then mm-hmm. you, uh, you know, added to that the media scrutiny of playing in Boston, playing in the Northeast. Yeah, I think it could be a really bad combination for sale. And uh, I didn't talk about the, the media aspect of that, but I did, in making my case for Corey Kluber, as my pitcher to target in our draft guide, I kind of went through the reasons why I was ruling out 
pitchers that on paper may look better than Kluber, including Sale. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot that's... of questions. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's cheap. And then, and then, oh, I'm sorry. And your boy Kluber went for twenty nine. So. You know, a dollar discount, but, you know, that extra dollar always helps out in an auction. Uh, Archer, 25. Um, Carrasco at 22. Uh, again, with the with the injury passed, I mean, he's the number one starter on that team. Luckily, uh, Eno was able to get uh, Fulmer and Cotton later to kind of layer that. So, again, we're talking about layering risk. He came back with a couple of people that should be able to provide him with solid innings and whip in case Cotton can't last. Uh, Manaya went for 11. Pomeranz went for 11. There, there was just so many gaggles. That's where Pineda was. There was just so many pockets of people priced at almost the same exact amount. It was uh, it was really curious last night. Um, I'd expect we'd see that in a mixed auction, too. Again, just for the very mm-hmm. reasons that we were talking about before the break, that it's really hard to sift out pitchers beyond, I say the top 17. I think you, you want to be a little more generous. You could say the top 20. Uh, I, th- I think it's really, really hard to separate them out because there are, you know, certainly they're there in that part of the rankings because they all have some kind of upside, usually uh, dealing with the ability to strike batters out. But there's health risk, there's inconsistency, mm-hmm. there may be an experience with some of the pitchers mm-hmm. relative to others, and I think it makes it very hard to uh, to, to rank them, which mm-hmm. I think co- comes right, back how to about- you were, yeah. I was going to say, how about, uh, how about this one? At $13, who would you rather have, Felix Hernandez or Lance McCullers? Uh, I'd, rather have, I'd rather have Lance McCullers be, because, again, of, of my, my approach that once I've secured my top two starters, I would rather have the upside. And granted, there's the mm-hmm. potential upside of Felix Hernandez rediscovering his form, still chronologically in his peak. So uh, I think you, you do have to consider that part of his, his ceiling. But, you know, McCullers, I, I think that uh, there's a lot more there uh, in, in terms of maybe not in terms of innings, but in terms of uh, strikeout rate and, uh, and also, you know, using that lack of contact to uh, produce a, a low ERA and a high win total. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of last season, I was kind of like, wow, Paxton might be on the verge of a breakout, but there's no bargain. $16 no. last night. He's, you know, he's no longer a sleeper. Anyone that's writing an article that says James Paxton is a sleeper, a sleeper is a farce because everybody and their uncle knows about him. Yeah. Now that said, I did include him in one of my four groups for my, uh, starting pitcher wrap up but yeah it wasn't because he's he's going to be a great value i agree and it pretty much from the get-go from the earliest drafts there was so much buzz on um mm-hmm. a buzz on paxton that uh, yeah it's it's no secret uh even though the era didn't bear it out uh you know we've we've become a a pretty sophisticated group in fantasy baseball and uh you know people know to look be, beyond the era so um well i thought Evan Gaddis at $17 was one of the more eye-popping numbers um, just because, mm-hmm. and, and that, it's a question that, you know, almost everybody has, where does the playing time come from? And I think we got a Twitter question on uh, Friday's show asking to estimate his uh, number of plate appearances. I put it at about 400. Are you more or less optimistic than that? 
Uh, I think it could end up being less. I mean, the, this is a team that wants to stress uh, uh, the OBP, and that's that's going to weigh towards. I mean, Beltran, yeah, he's going to get some time in left field, but he's going to be the primary DH, and I think he's going to play okay this year. Unless there's a Beltran injury, I don't know that there's a path for Gaddis to get all of those at-bats. I think McCann, as flawed as he is, a defensive catcher is still a better defensive catcher than uh, Gaddis is. Um, and I'd rather have McCann at eleven dollars than Gaddis at seventeen this year. I, I could be wrong about that, but you know uh, McCann does have strong. He, he was starting to hit to the opposite field last year to try and uh, battle the shift, and that's a very short ballpark in left field. I mean, not that Yankees Stadium's a bad hitting environment, but if he can hit a couple of fly balls to left field, they're going to get over the wall there and, and mm-hmm. in his new home ballpark. So. Yeah, where Gaddis has been going this year, and he was my boomer bust guy in the catcher portion just because of that, you know, trying to predict the amount of bats that he's going to get. I mean, yeah, he's going to hit home runs every so and so, every, I think it was like every 16, 17 at bats, but if he doesn't rack up enough, how many is he going to get you? Yeah, and then what's he going to give you I'd on love- top of that, like you said, you know, with the OBP, batting yeah. average, uh, run production? And he went for 17, as I mentioned before. McCann went for 11. I really. And Sal Perez went for 16. It's uh, hard to imagine how the how the bidding got so heated up on Gaddis. That all depends on when they come out too. That you know, there was a couple of players like Alcides Escobar went for an inflated price, but the person had extra money at that point, so they needed to get the position. So they they had the they were forced to overspend. Wilson Ramos at five dollars. Yeah, I love that value. Absolutely. So, well, Greg, we got to wrap up, and we got our own uh, drafts coming up this week, I'm sure. And I know you've been busy with the uh, the mock draft army. Uh, so, yep. uh, wish everybody luck with their upcoming drafts. It's getting uh, getting busy in draft time out there. So, thank you so much for tuning in, Greg Jewett. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we will be back tomorrow at three Eastern with Jim Finch. So, stay tuned, everybody, for the producers, and have a great day. Mm-hmm.